Welcome to the NOTO Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. I'm Frank Lesseter, editor of NOTO Farmer and the host of this series of interviews. Sourced by Sound Agriculture sponsors this podcast along with the past, present, and future of no-till farming. My guest today is long-term no-tiller Kelly Cheeseworth of Dana, Indiana. He and his son Keaton are the fifth and sixth generations to farm this ground that is located on both sides of the Indiana and Illinois state lines. Today we're talking with Kelly about his long-term success with no-till and moving in recent years into no-till organic production on 1,000 acres of this more than 2,000 acre operation. Kelly, you farm along the Indiana-Illinois border. What's the hometown? Dana, Indiana, where we claim to be. We live and actually have a Christmas address, but uh, we farm, oh, 65% of our grounds in Indiana and the others in Illinois. Well, no wonder I was confused by Christmas and Dana. You got two different addresses, basically. Yeah, we we claim to be from Indiana. Nobody wants to be from Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> so you must have a time difference between Central Time and Eastern Time on those. Um... Oh yeah, but we say on Eastern Time, it's just so much handier, and we we don't want to be another hour behind. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So you you grow up at this uh, this is a five or six generation farm, right? It is. I'm the fifth generation, same house, same farm. Right. Well, I grew up on a Michigan farm. I was a sixth generation, but it's just north of Detroit, and it's all houses today. So. Oh boy. <laughs> so you came back to the your your dad and your grandfather were farming. When did you get involved? I've uh, been involved my whole life, but professionally, I started renting ground in 1984, and so happens to be the first year we started no-tilling. We were, oh, boy, moldboard plowed up until, like, 1979, and then Dad bought a chisel plow, and we we chiseled for five or six years before we decided to hang that up and uh, go no-till. Dad entered that pick program in 1983 and I took on a pioneer seed dealership as well as a small seed dealership and when he wanted to plant all all the corn eggs I talked him into planting alfalfa and clover and sweet clover so we had 500 acres of idle ground that had all these covers on it um, growing that whole year 1983 and so mowing those down in the in the summer and letting them grow back all winter and into the spring we uh, bought a new planter and started no-tilling and planted in the waist high alfalfa clover and sweet clover and we didn't have a clue what we were doing <laughs> but yeah, it was successful and uh, we never looked back there's been no-tilling ever since yeah. Well, this brings up an interesting point because we had a question from a reader this uh, week that said, hey, I got some CRP land that's coming out. Do I have to till that for a year or two before I no-till it? What would you tell him? Well, you know, it just depends on the species and is he wanting a conventional farm, you know, with chemicals or is he, you know, he wanting to do something different? I mean, if it's, you know... It's been out of production. It'd be eligible for organic. So, sure. 
I was encouraging not <laughs> to use chemicals and depending on what species, um, you know, how, how to handle it. That, that makes a big difference. We've tried to handle alfalfa and clover in a no-till organic situation. 2018, we planted clover, red clover and alfalfa and a few other miscellaneous things. And then we just let that sit for a whole year. We did hay it uh, just basically to control the grass and the weeds. I uh, wished I wouldn't have. I wished I just <laughs> mowed it and left it. But we did hay it. But then the, um, the first year that we were certified organic, we, we planted corn into that alfalfa and clover and this stuff was at least thigh high so after we planted it we didn't know if we'd get a good roller crimp so we decided to go ahead and flail chop it so we mowed it off about three inches from the ground and then decided we'd try to roller crimp it after that because we had a we had a new don build a in roll or in row roller crimper uh, the roller is about 25 inches wide and you can go between the 30 inch cornrows so that's what we use to try to manage manage the clover and the alfalfa without without a lot a lot of success it was it was very challenging and the clover and alfalfa were so well established that they'd come back and outgrow the corn a little short on rainfall, so they were sucking up all the moisture and all the nutrition. So we ended up roller crimping that that cover about three times, um, and and it just didn't control it very well at all. We finally um, hit it the third time and about eliminated the clover, but the alfalfa was still still in control, and um, it, it's just a tough situation you know trying to kill alfalfa with a roller crimper so we're not doing that anymore <laughs> so your son is back farming with you now right he is he's two years out of purdue and uh, he's all about the organic all about growing healthier food and more nutrient dense food and we've just transitioned another 300 acres this year so we're now at a uh, thousand acres of organic Certified organic. That's about half our farm, so we're okay. about half and half. That's uh, well, going to be my next question. How many acres you have? So you got about two thousand or so then. Yeah. No livestock. No livestock. When I started having kids back in late eighties, uh, something had to go. I had a Pioneer dealership and farming quite a bit, and uh, didn't have time for livestock. So uh, right. our help was a problem. Labor is an issue, so I got rid of those and. Uh, but we have utilized manure for about 17 years now. So we import, you know, manure from other farms. We had a local guy there at a turkey farm, and we utilized his manure for about 15 years. And he retired on us, so we spent the last three years trying to find another manure source, and it's become very popular amongst everyone now. And uh, we just locked down here a couple of months ago, locked down, and another turkey litter source. So we've been busy hauling and spreading litter here the last month. So you told me the other day when we were talking that you like turkey litter because it was what? It has less calcium. 
calcium levels where we want them or maybe mm-hmm. just a hair too high so we don't need any additional calcium the uh, chicken litter that's available uh, the closest source of it is all layer manure sure. and it has a lot of calcium for you know for the eggshells so um, we prefer the turkey over the chicken for that reason yeah now, your crop rotation pretty much corn and soybeans it has been. Um, we're looking to di- diversify that. Um, that's really important for a lot of aspects, uh, workload being one of them. Um, so we've, we planted this fall, we planted a couple hundred acres of foundation seed cereal rye for mm-hmm. reproduction. So we're getting started, you know, diver- diversifying our our uh, rotation here a little bit and some of that ground will be tile um but it'll it'll all get um some sort of legume package mix um we'll frost seed that here and probably in february and we'll let that ground lay uh, we'll tile some of it and then uh, we'll you know grow our nitrogen for next year's corn crop so we're starting to you know see the benefits of doing that for lots of, lots of different reasons. So on your 1,000 acres that you're no-tilling that are, are kind of regular no-till, I hate to say conventional no-till, but um, what have been some of the challenges there? What have been some of your successes on this no-till ground over the last 37 years? Oh, yeah, t- tremendous. <laughs> oh, where do we start? Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how you can take a pretty poor farm something that's been highly eroded and start no-tilling it, get the calcium where it needs to be by liming it, get some manure on it, put some cover crops on it. You can literally turn the farm around and make it a good farm in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, we've seen the biggest response from no-tilling and cover cropping and manure from our poor farms. You know, our uh-huh, good farms sure. have always good farms and they stay good farms and become better farms right but the poor the poorest productive farms it is it's just tlc it, it, it's incredible you know we had there's a farm in the community that nobody really wanted it was rolling it was thin soil that had been highly eroded and the elderly woman um actually took it away for her nephew because it was only raising 30 bushel beans and she knew my aunt somehow, and mm-hmm. my aunt told told her to call me and my dad, so we rented it. And we literally took that farm in a couple of years from 30 bushel beans to 55 bushel beans by just giving it the TLC. Right. And uh, went on to tile it and kept putting on chicken manure, and I could got a shot of hog manure, and then we put turkey on it. And it ended up, you know... Uh, here, I don't know, six, seven years ago, we've got that farm up to raising 75 bushel beans now. I mean, it's just incredible what you can do. And it's all no, you know, it's all no-till, cover crops and manure and, and some tile. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it really is amazing. Well, I've been in a field like that. I was with, uh, years ago, I was with Ray Rawson, who passed away earlier this year, um, up in uh, Central Mid- I didn't know that. Yeah, up in Central Michigan. Yeah, up in Central Michigan, and he took me out to a field, and this was the first year 
that he had taken over this rundown field, and later on he had made 70 bushel soybeans the very first year by with his yeah. own tail system and just paying a little attention to the field. Made oh, yeah. He's an, he was an incredible person. I knew Ray personally. Yeah. I sold, sold Ross and Colders back in the late 80s and 90s and uh, been on his farm. He's been to my house. He's put meetings on for us in the past. So he's, yeah. He was a great guy. I'm really, really yeah. sorry to hear that. No, he was a big contributor to no-till and strip-till, and, or not strip-till, but zone-till. So do you have some land that's continuous corn? Um, don't now. Uh, we did back, um, gosh, that was probably, oh, when the big ethanol boom was going on, we did continuous corn for six or seven years, but you know, the thinking being that I could build greater organic matter mm-hmm. with with raising lots of biomass, you know, but um, monocropping's not the way to do it. So, you know, several sure. years ago, we figured out that that's not the way to go. We, we figured out how to grow good corn, but um, we weren't growing great soils. So, you know, in order to have really good soils and, and, and increase productivity you need to have diversity in your in your crops and and your cover crops so i i guess a guy could do continuous corn if he had a good program for putting a lot of diversity in his covers but you know that's limited you know as far as getting them established in the fall and then getting them you know getting them to grow in the in the spring uh, to get the benefit so we we've gotten away from corn after corn um, just for that reason, we're, we're striving for better diversity. What kind of uh, corn yields is is a goal for you across the whole farmer? You know, we're talking two different uh, systems. So, sure. you know, on our conventional uh, GMO corns, I mean, we're we've we've been up in the two forty to two sixty range, so that's probably our goal. Mm-hmm. Um, We've had some pretty good weather the last few years and been able to achieve that, you know, several times. Organically, you know, we've been at the low end. So, you know, our, our goal is to be 150 bushel plus. We didn't we didn't quite make it there this year. I think we got 140. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're raising food grade organic, so you get an extra premium for that. So even at 140, those are some pretty big numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very profitable where we just know we can do better. It's just you know, working through the process and get, getting our system figured out, managing the legumes, you know, so they don't take away from the crop. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of little things, uh, supplemental nutrition, you know, at a timely, you know, to get it on timely. Um, that's important. So just working, working our way through all our, you know, and getting our system put together. Right. On your regular no-till, are you uh, are you seeding cover crops across all that acreage? We do. We use litter on the conventional stuff as well as the organic, mm-hmm. and we also seed cover crops and no-till. Right. So how we, much? We do. Uh, right. So how much do you think these uh, things have cut your fertility bill? That's hard to say because the fertility bill <laughs> prices keep going up. Right, right. Uh, the, the, the manure helps because that's one of the 
cheaper forms of getting the fertility we need, you know, the, that's in the manure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when you're raising, when you're raising 250 bush of corn, or at least that's your goal, your f- fertility build is pretty high. Right. Um, you know, it takes more sulfur and, uh, you know, it takes a well-balanced diet. So I, I don't, I can't really say okay. how, what percentage I, I'm, I'm, you know, when we when we have a high fertility bill, I'm looking for a pretty uh, high return on investment. So uh, I don't know that slashing the fertility bill is a priority. I mean, it's always in your mind you want to spend less, but right. you know, if it if it pays to spend more and you're going to make more, I mean, that's basically our focus. Um, now on the organic side, you know, we're we're trying to you know do it as cheap as possible. Because our yield goal is so much lower, sure. you know, when you're only 150, 180 bushel corn. Now, I mean, longer term, our goal of organic will be higher, 180 or 200. But we're, you know, we're just not there yet. We're, we're still trying to figure out our system and, you know, how much manure we we need. I mean, we've been without manure for three years, so that's been part of our struggle. It's been really hard to find uh you know, with fertilizer prices where they are, everybody and their brother wants manure now. So that's really made it hard on us organic guys to find a good supply. And we finally, we sourced a supply here finally just a couple months ago. So That's great. So on a regular no-till, you, you've been growing some specialty crops or food-grade corn for a number of years, haven't you? I have, yes. This is white corn? The GMO is white. Corn for Frito-Lay, yeah, we've done that since probably the early 90s, mm-hmm. and that's that's always been a good income source. Um, yeah, we uh, we raised food-grade yellow corns for several years. Uh, Paris, Illinois has a facility, a Cargill facility, and they, they paid a nice premium for years. We did that. Yeah, we've always looked for premiums, you know, sure. on what we grow. So, uh, what are you running for uh, planter? We use a uh, John Deere 1770 NT. Um, the biggest thing we've got on it is the uh, Precision Delta Force, okay. um, where you have hydraulic downforce and lift both. And I think it makes several adjustments per second. That, that's just an incredible technology that. I would hate to go without. Um, it's it's an amazing amazing technology. Um, we have row cleaners on the planter. We don't always use them. Uh, we've we've been planting green into our cover crops sure. for several years now, and there's not always a need for uh, row cleaners. So I've got the air assist from Precision on there, so I just lift them out of the way when I don't need them, and I haven't taken mine off. Uh, a few of my friends have taken theirs off, but I, I like to have the the option of putting them down whenever I need them. So I've left them on there, and it's come in pretty handy at times. Uh, we run a Keaton seed firmer, and uh, then we've used several several different things, closing devices. We've, we've always searching for a better closing device, and at the time being, we're using the Razor closing wheels from sure. uh, Martin and Kentucky and 
as an added thing. Uh, we did that one year, and, and uh, we didn't think it was perfect, so we added the uh, Martin come out with the uh, press wheel to mount on the back of that. So mm-hmm. we added that past year, and we thought that was a good added, you know, as a positive thing to, to ferment up that seed slot. Right. How many rows on your planter? 24. Okay. You know, I don't know that I need 24 for 2,000 acres, but uh, the way the weather is, um, you only get so many days of perfect weather to plant. And I plant at four mile an hour. Um, I don't have the, the high speed feed tubes. So it's pretty nice to be able to go out there at four mile an hour and, you know, plant your corn in perfect conditions and, and not be stressed about it. So I'm going to keep my 24 row platter. I uh, read someplace, I pulled up a couple things we'd done over the years with you, and you were talking about planting at 4 a.m. Just keep when conditions are right, you need to go regardless of whether the sun is out or not, right? Oh, there's three years ago. Um, it was wet, 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 but because we no-tilled, and we had tiled ground, we were able to start planting there. I don't know. I think it was like the 7th of May or something. And it was unbelievable. I was out on the Illinois Prairie on flat black ground. And that ground was planting beautiful, planting perfect behind soybeans double. And it was the weirdest thing. You could look around all day and not see one neighbor anywhere around. And so, um, I just kept planting. I mean, uh, I felt good, so I kept planting at night, and there wasn't there wasn't any tractors running, there wasn't any pickups going up and down the road. It was the weirdest thing, but we ended up planting our whole crop in three and a half days. Wow, uh, which is incredible, and uh, it it was it was amazing. I mean, perfect stands, had a great productive year, and. Uh, Yeah, so when when it's time to go, it's time to go. (laughs) We'll come back to trading ideas with Kelly Cheeseworth in a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nitrogen and phosphorus in your fields so you can rely less on expensive fertilizer. This foliar application has a low use rate and you can mix it right into your tank. Check out Source. It's like caffeine for microbes. Learn more at www.sound.ag. Before we get back to today's discussion with Kelly Cheesewright, here's a little known no-till fact. Back in 1980, we reported on 10 years of work at Clemson University, which showed a vetch and rye mulch resulted in 3.1 inches less water runoff and 2.4 tons per acre less soil erosion loss each year without any drop in yield compared with corn grown on plowed ground. That was for no-till. Now let's go back to today's podcast interview. Where you're located, people don't know where these little towns are. You're close to Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, north, north of Terre Haute, 25 miles. You plant corn before soybeans or you try to plant them at the same time or what? We usually plant them at the same time, but we're starting to plant our soybeans first now. Okay. Um, we see a bigger 
yield increase from getting our beans planted early than we do with corn. So we're not, you know, we're rigged with that big planter that we can wait now until conditions are just perfect to plant corn. Mm-hmm. But soybeans, they don't have to be that perfect. You know, you can plant them in cooler weather, you know, as long as you're not planting in the mud. So we're, we emphasize getting our beans planted earlier and, and wait until conditions are perfect for corn, especially the few days after you plant the corn. That's what we're really paying attention to, you know, is what what's the three or four days after you plant your corn. That That seems to be the most important. Right. Speaking of wet conditions, 10, 15 years ago, you, you you invested in tile. That's been a pretty good investment for you? Huge investment. It's like you flip a farm like you flip a house, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just can't believe. It's amazing how you just didn't realize just how wet your ground was. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's just night and day difference. And what I didn't realize is how much more timely it made every operation throughout the year. You can you can plant timely, you know, more timely. You can side dress more timely. You can spray more timely. You can harvest more timely. Yeah. <laughs> it's just incredible, and and it catches you off guard because you got so used to how many days or hours sunshine and wind to take the dry out of farm and you go out there to look and everything else is wet but that field you tiled is dry and it's ready to go you're like holy cow i gotta get on the stick <laughs> it's just it's just amazing between the no-till and the and the tile it, it's it's unbelievable how how well that ground will dry out, especially, you know, I mean, we're, we're no-tillers, so we don't hardly ever compact it. It's it's amazing. It's ma- it's almost magical. How much do you think it costs to uh, tile an acre? Well, it, it's gotten, you know, at least a 1000 bucks an acre yeah. probably, and maybe more. Um, we, uh, luckily for us, we started back in, in 05 and did a little bit, and uh, we like this outfit, and in 06, uh, 2006, the same company came out with a deal where they would pay for the mains. If you, if you bought a system, a 40-foot tile system off of them, they would pay for the mains. So I had wow. no intentions of doing any more tiling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called them up and said, is this for real? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we ended up doing another 550 acres that next spring. And uh, it was the best thing I ever did. That was back when like we we ended up paying like three hundred and sixty seven dollars and fifty cents an acre to get that mm-hmm. three inch tile that got it in on forty forty foot centers. So uh, we bit the bullet and dove in as the best thing I ever did. So did, can you uh, do you encourage landowners that you rent from to tile their ground? How's that work? Oh, out? absolutely. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, one brother and sister I farmed for uh, had 144 acres, and after seeing the benefits, I I got them on the farm and and showed them, you know, what we could do, and and uh, I was willing to pay for a third of it or 40 percent of it, and uh, so they agreed to it. So we did a 10-year contract, and and everybody's happy. Oh, They're happy great. from there. Right. and we're we're happy to, in 
have a farm that's better, more productive, and uh, easier to farm. When we did a story on you a few years back, uh, you said you you were guessing tile was worth ten to fifteen percent more yield. That still held up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it it really is. It just, you, you just flip the farm. I mean, you you know, every year is different, though, Frank. Uh, right. You know, and it's weather. I mean, I, I mean, and, you know, and and. In really dry years, you may lose a little bit, sure. Which is very rare. I've seen it happen maybe once or twice. You know, 2012, you probably lost a little bit from you know not having that excess moisture, but that's pretty rare. The other eight, you know, 18, 19 times out of 20, it's going to be a positive, right? And some really big. Let's move into cover crops, and one of the things you mentioned earlier, I'm going to come back to, is how you diversified your rotation, and you're you're uh, producing some cereal rice seed now, which it's going to help you push up your harvest. So on those acres, you can put in a cover crop earlier than you would otherwise with just corn and soybeans, right? Absolutely. So our plan is to put some legume package, uh, frost seed. We'll do that in February. I mean, you, you know, red clover, maybe some, some other clover or two. And then my plan is to come back, you know, sometime in June and then plant a warm season package as well to get this mm-hmm. diversity. So that's kind of what we got in mind. Back up here. Explain this again. Go back to February and tell me what you're doing. Okay. Well, yeah, in February. <laughs> Frost, you frost seed just like you would in wheat. You know, people have done that red clover okay. thing for years. Yeah. We'll frost seed some kind of a legume package. It'll probably include red clover and maybe another clover or two. I, we haven't figured that out exactly yet, but we'll we'll get those started. And then come June, we'll probably put another package, a warm season package together, you know, with some grasses and right. – and, uh, I'm not sure what all yet. We haven't decided that yet, but we want to, you know, get a eight-way, you know, seven-way, eight-way mix growing on those acres and and get ready for corn production the following year. Tell me about uh, what you put cover crop in after corn and soybean harvest, what you're doing when you get it on. Yeah, depending on when we get the beans out. We're doing, this year we did a a mix of uh, triticale, Hairy vetch, balanza clover. Uh, I think we put some radishes in there and maybe a couple other things. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's early enough, you got to, you know, you got to get that done fairly early. You know, mid September's cut off for a lot of these things. So we, you know, we tried to plant earlier maturing soybeans so we can get these mixes planted, which, you know, corn will follow behind the corn. If we fly it on early enough, which we did some, we did a package of oats, cereal rye, radishes, and rape. So we flew that on, so it it, it got established well. And, uh, you know, we usually use that package on stuff that we're going to harvest late. Like the sure. white corn, we usually plant it first and harvest it last because it it's uh, – hard in the sperm it's really heavy test weight corn and it dries down very slow in the field and in the bin so we always harvest it late so you know almost too late to get a good cover established 
and get any benefit out of it. But the rest, you know, a lot of the other corn acres will just plant cereal rye, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't do that in front of the soybeans will fall that next spring. How late would you uh, put a cover crop on your corn ground? Into November? Or, or you have to go oh, that yeah. late? Yep. Yeah. Cereal rye, you can plant 12 months a year. It's the most incredible cover out there. I mean, it's amazing. So you're not going to get all the benefits maybe of uh, uh, recycling nitrogen, you know, if you get a lot of rain in the fall, but this fall we didn't have much rain, so we probably haven't had that much loss in any excess nitrogen. So we went ahead and seeded all our acres, even though we were late. Uh, you know, the ground only has to be 34 or 35 degrees and cereal thir- rye will germinate. Mm-hmm. So um, get it out there. We had the seed. We we grew it ourselves. So get it out there, and it won't do anything good in the bag. Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen where cereal rye planted December will come up the last week of February. Wow! You'll get the benefit out of it. And I don't know how many times I've seen that happen. In these warmer winters we've had, you know, it germinates. It'll germinate above 34, 35 degrees. So mm-hmm. we get something on every acre, and uh, you'll get some benefit out of it. What uh, would be a normal uh, cereal rice seeding rate? On our conventional acres, you know, our GMO acres, we, we plant anywhere from 50 to 60 to 70 pounds, typically okay. depending on the seed size and the variety. You know, some of the, the Elbon and the Acoustic are a lot smaller seeded varieties so you can get by with maybe even a little less you can you know you could probably even get less than 40 pounds 45 pounds um or organic acres um we're doing a higher rate um we've done up to two bushels before mm-hmm. um but you know we're also con- counting on that to be all our weed control whether whether we're uh roller crimping it or um what we're doing Mostly now, I mean, the roller cramping works somewhat okay most years, but there's been some struggles with it. So what we're doing for our organic beans, we, we have a John Deere air seeder. It's on seven and a half inch rows. We're going to plant our beans in 30. So we, we plugged off uh, one row out of four on our seeder. Okay. We, we, we blocked off. Uh, five rows on one side, six rows on another side, so we have a 30-foot seating pass. Our, our drill is 36 foot, so we wanted to keep keep it 30 and 30 because our planter is 60, 60 yep. foot. So we're 30 foot, and we're leaving a 15-inch gap where we're going to plant our 30-inch row soybeans. So we got three rows of cereal rye between each soybean row. And what we'll do, we'll We'll let that rye come up, and when it's ankle to shin high, somewhere around boot stage, we'll go out there and plant our soybeans in that 15-inch gap. All right. Okay. So we won't we won't roller crimp that rye. We're going to let that rye grow to maturity, and sometime about the third week of June, we're going to roll in there with a combine. We'll take our floaters off our combine, put on a set of duels, and we'll drive down between those soybean rows and harvest that rye. Those beans will be about knee high. We've done this a couple, three different years here prior, so we know this how well this works. The rye does a great job holding back the weeds and the grass, especially mare's tail. I mean, cereal rye just 
I don't know how it magically does it, but it makes mares tail disappear. So we'll harvest this rye. We'll we'll have we'll have our own cereal rye seed to plant back this coming fall for our covers, and then we'll let those beans grow up out of that stubble, and then we'll turn around this fall and harvest the beans. Gosh, it sounds like double cropping relay intercropping. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Sure is. Let's move over to the organic side. You you said you've said for a number of years the corn you raise for Frito Lay has been your most profitable revenue stream, and you you were doing well. You were doing well than just being regular no till. So what what encouraged you to go organic? This son of mine that just graduated from Purdue decided five or six years ago that he definitely wanted to farm. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, land prices are over. <laughs> Eight ten thousand dollars now rents you know three hundred dollars four hundred dollars and sure and it's very 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 competitive in my in my world and I've never had a desire to farm five or ten thousand acres right so I'm thinking how how am I gonna get my son in into the farming business without you know growing horizontally I, I figured. Uh, the, the trek we've been on since 1984, we started no-tilling. The mid-80s, we started using cover crops. And uh, 17 years ago, started using manure. And then, oh, 10 years ago, I started composting manure. And, and you know, we did all this tiling. So um, we we're always looking for, you know, an, the, a new way to do things better, grow better food. And the organic system just seemed to be on this path that we are on. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know, if we get this figured out, it'll allow us to farm the same number of acres or less acres and, and actually have enough income for two families instead of one. Five years ago, I decided to plant those covers and uh, anticipating a Keaton, my son getting out of college three years later and, here we are, three years in a certified organic, thousand thousand acres. So, so far, so good. So, what is corn and soybeans organic? Yes. Okay. How do you market them? Well, that's pretty easy. Growing <laughs> is the hard part. <laughs> marketing in the organic world, marketing's the easy part. <laughs> as long as uh, you know you're going to have it, you know I'd recommend not not sell it before you got it. We we've. Yeah. we've uh, had some challenges with that in the past, but uh, if you've got it in the bin, it's pretty easy to market because there's a pretty big demand for it. Yeah. Is it a U.S. market or overseas? U.S. market. you got got 1,000 acres now. I assume you started out small or how many acres you start with the first year well, or two? I would recommend people to start out small, but <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little stupider or braver than those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started out with a with a seven year plan of, 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 of transitioning the whole farm. So we did four hundred acres the first year. But I wow. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. That that was <laughs> little uh that was uh, <laughs> uh just a little brazen <laughs> but uh uh I wouldn't recommend that. That that's pretty challenging. So that's I, I guess I call it obnoxiously optimistic. Right. <laughs>
For everything you need to know about no-till farming, you need to make plans now to attend the 31st Annual National No-Tillage Conference being held at the Hyatt Regency St. Louis Arch Hotel. It's January the 10th through the 13th. All the experts, equipment, application discussions, workshops, and networking you need to get your no-till operation off to a blazing start in 2023. Learn the secrets of some of the highest yielding farmers on the planet. Legendary no-tillers like Russell Hedrick, David Hula, Randy Dowdy, Ray Archuleta, and many more. Visit notillconference.com and use the promo code RADIO for a $100 registration discount. Or you can call them at 866-839-8455 to sign up for the National No-Tillage Conference, January the 10th through the 13th, being held right here in St. Louis. Once again, that website, notillconference.com. What were the surprises you got the first or second year that other people ought to be aware of if they were thinking of going organic? Oh, man. Uh, surprises. There's lots of them. you you got to have lots of plans. You know, you can't just have plan A, B, C. You better have the whole alphabet. <laughs> Mother, Nature, Mother Nature's always going to throw you lots of surprises, you know. Uh, do your homework. You know, you can't study or learn enough. You know, if you're doing like we're we're wanting to do with cover crops and no-till organic, you've got to have a, lots of backup plans because, uh, you, like the fall of 2021, Mother Nature didn't let us get our cover crops planted very very well. So we had a lot of a lot of ground that didn't have a cover crop. So then, what are you going to do if you're counting on a cover crop to be your weed control? Then what are you going to do? So yeah. uh, uh, there's there's just lots of challenges with the covers, you know, the weather. Um, foxtail is a huge problem for us. We're trying to figure out how to control foxtail. Hopefully, this cereal rye that I told you about a bit ago about planting three rows of rye and one row of soybeans that's going to help control our foxtail because it's it's relentless. This foxtail is just incredible how it will grow and dry, loose dirt. It's amazing, the pressure. So um, that's, that's been the big, biggest challenge for us is, is grass, controlling the grass. Weeds, we don't have too big an issue with. We, uh, we have some, but not that bad. And then we also have a, um, a weed zapper uh, that sure. we can use as last ditch effort, you know, to, to get rid of the weed seed, you know, uh, with water hemp being so aggressive, uh, we can tr- control water hemp very easily with the weed zapper. It's just, it's a relentless weed too, but we, we just haven't had that much pressure um, the last couple of years with our broadleaves. It's mainly, mainly grass. I'm sure we got some readers that know what a weed zapper is and some that we don't. Can you explain what the weed zapper is? A weed zapper is a uh, mounted bar that goes on the front mounted three-point hitch, and uh, you carry a generator that's on the on the rear three-point hitch, generated by the power takeoff, and uh, you're you're uh, generating about fifteen thousand fifteen thousand volts, and you just got the lead running from the back of the tractor up to the front in this copper bar. You run above the, the soybean canopy, and all you have to do is touch that weed, and it'll it'll uh, uh, annihilate 
the cells, the cell walls of that plant and kill it instantly. It's so gratifying. It only takes about three seconds to go from where you touch the weed to where you're looking down from the cab, looking at it, and it'll be wilted immediately. So if anybody has a water hip problem, uh, that's a, such a gratifying process. <laughs> it's uh, pretty impressive how quick you can kill that weed. Horse weeds, uh, cuckleburrs, mare's tail does a great job of killing. Uh, the only weed that we have a problem with killing is velvet leaf. Mm-hmm. It's got a, a woody type stem that doesn't conduct electricity very well, so it, it's really tough to kill. But all the other weeds that we have seem to be controlled fairly easily. But it takes a pretty big tractor to run this, with, uh, and you need power for the generator, right? Yep, yep. We have a 320-horse factory tractor, and uh, we have a 40-foot 40 foot zapper, so we had to go buy a chip and get another 80 horse to get that thing to 400 to, to run that generator and not mm-hmm. pull it down to, so it didn't burn it up. You got to keep certain RPM so you don't burn up your generator. So it's uh, your certified organic certification, lots of paperwork, a pain in the butt, or okay to do? No, it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt. Lots of record keeping. Uh, you know, you got to meet with a certifying agent, and you got to have your your eyes dotted and your T's crossed, or um, you know, you can get yourself sure. in a jam. So, you know, definitely want to any any products you ever want to use, you want to get them approved prior to buying them and prior to using them. You know, and there again, a lot of homework a guy needs to do to get, you know, up to speed. And, uh, you know, he, he just got to accept there's going to be more paperwork. Um, that's all there is to it. We've hired a person to help us with all this paperwork. Um, she's uh, pretty amazing, and she helps us keep on track so we don't do anything we shouldn't. And she helps with the uh, certification process, the interview that you have to do annually, so that's been a big help. I'd highly recommend finding an additional source sure. of guidance through all this process because it's it's a pretty stringent process, and and uh, you know it it's a hard thing. It, right. it really is. So, uh, what what kind of premium is being paid these days for corn and beans that are organic? Pretty good size. Uh, feed grade yellow corn is probably in the ten dollar to Twelve dollar range and food grade, uh, food grade white corn is probably in the twelve to fourteen dollar range. So there's you know double the price right mm-hmm. now. Soybeans are somewhat uh, they've they've gone down there recently some, but they're about double the price as well. They've been they've they've been as much as two and a half times the price of regular beans. Pretty good premium. You'll go around, you're producing about 150 bushel corn or about soybeans? Uh, we, we'd we like to be growing 50, 60 bushel beans. Okay. Tell me how fertility, you got turkey litter, you got cover crops, then what? We've been using the micronutrients. We, uh, we hooked up with a real good consultant that's very familiar with 
organic production and uh, is a genius when it comes to minerals. He's helped us get our zinc and our manganese and our boron um, back where they should be, or at least we're working on it. It's very expensive to do. Uh, um, there are there are certain, you know, like potash, I think it's potassium sulfate you can use in the organic world, but um, it's expensive. You can use rock phosphate. Um, it's not cheap, but it's a high premium product. Um, and uh, yeah, nitrogen sources, we've used uh, some liquid fish. We've used feather meal. Um, there's several other products, you know, on top of the manure. So there's things you can use. They're just more expensive. So, sure. um, you know, I, I recommend you get a really good consultant that understands all the relationships and, you know, to get your, your nutrients somewhat balanced. So one, you know, one shortfall, one nutrient may create shortfalls on two other nutrients. So right. there's a there's Lots and lots of relationships between them that takes someone smarter than me. I've I've been trying to figure it out for forty years. <laughs> haven't got there yet. So I I went out and sought additional help, and that was that was a very good decision. Um, weed control with cover crops, roller crimping, weed zapper. You satisfied with what you're getting for weed control? Broad leaves, yes. Foxtail, no. Okay. Uh, we're 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 struggling with that one right now. I mean, we 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 have some theories, you know, or we've located people that have theories of why that is. So we're mm -hmm. we're working on that process. We got people like Dan DeSutter and Rick Clark yeah. working on. They're good friends of mine. They're working on this as well. They're they're also having the same issues. So. We're all trying to figure it out. Right. This has been great talking to you. Uh, right right now you're split 1,000 acres, 1,000 acres. In five years, will you have more acres of organic? You don't know or what? Uh, we plan on it. We we quit transitioning this past year just because we reached our limit, our labor. Sure. We have one full-time hired man, uh, me and my son, of course, full-time. Uh, we're looking for another full-time person. Mm -hmm. um, we need them, and but if also if we you know figure out more diverse crop rotation, sure. where we're not harvesting everything in the fall and do more in the summer, um, we can we can broaden, go go more acres. So I mean that's our plan. We want to be 100% organic. That's okay. the goal. Yeah, and and that may be that mean that may mean a few less acres, which I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem with. Yeah. You know, I, I don't care to farm the world or the, the township or the county. I, I just want to make a, a good living and my son make a decent living and, and right. call it good. How much more time do you think organic takes per acre? Lots. <laughs> <laughs> lots, lots of management and lots of scouting and yeah. uh, lots of patience. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, 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 you know, you better be prepared. It, it's, it's, it's grueling. You know, yeah. the first, first three years are pretty tough. Yeah. So start small, do lots of studying, have lots of plans and seek out lots of help. There's, there's just a, 
you know, endless amount of information out here, podcasts, uh, just great things going on in this world. You know, a lot of regenerative movement. We've been on this path our whole life. We never called it that, but that's what we've been, that's what we've been doing. Sure. And, uh, it's a great path to be on. We've seen our soils respond. We've got amazing soils now. Uh, we're, we're trying to crank this biology up and, get back to where mother nature intended these soils to work. We want soil. We don't want to farm dirt, you know, there's, right. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of dead soils out there and we don't want that. Next on today's podcast, we're going to take a short break to offer another little known fact about no-till. Growers in South America have developed an organic system that relies on no-tilling green manure crops as soon as possible after harvesting no-till cash crops. With this system, sunflowers and sun hemp are knocked down with a knife roller, which lets farmers no-till into the dead mulch without needing herbicides for weed control. I thought this was really good today since Kelly is talking about his organic no-till program. But in Paraguay, with the cover crops controlling the weeds, these no-till farmers boosted returns by $15 per acre with more mulch, higher organic matter in the soil, and less nutrient leaching. U.S. growers don't yet have the kinks worked out for making a no-till organic farming system practical and easy, but refinements are coming, such as you're hearing today from Kelly Cheesewright. That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this series possible. You can find more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies at notillfarmer.com slash podcast. A transcript of this episode will be available there shortly. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast to get an alert whenever we release a new one. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Frank Lesseter. Thanks for listening. Keep on no-tilling and have a great day.